Psalm 34, 37.4 says, Delight yourself in the Lord, and He will give you the desires of your heart. And I don't know about you, but that scripture always messes me up. But on so many levels. And, I, and, and so I start to wonder, where do desires come from then? We have them because we're made in the image of God. And God has great desires for us as His people, for us as His sons and daughters. And so our desires, our, our longings, our wants, our cravings are really God's impartation into our, who we are as human beings. You know, philosophers, because they like to do this kind of stuff, they describe desire as the fundamental motivation of all human action. It's why we do stuff. Or why we don't do stuff. I always have a great desire for Oreo cookies. Almost any cookie. It is a craving for me at times. I don't always crave or desire to do the exercise that would take care of all those cravings for those Oreo cookies. <laughs> desire is weird. And that was just a simple kind of base kind of explanation. But desire is deep. It is the fundamental reason why we do stuff or why we don't do stuff. And it's the reason why our desires are so need to be so connected to God. The same philosophers, they break down human desire into three major categories. We desire security, we desire belonging, and we desire purpose. We want our lives to matter. We want to belong to something greater than ourselves. And we want to be safe while we do it. These are the three major categories that, that, that can describe human desire. And there's many subcategories. You know, we, we desire love. We desire truth. We actually desire beauty. It is essential for a human being to have these things, to be really fully alive. Everything else is just existing. For me... So I can wrap my small brain around this. I have kind of come up with two categories that helps me understand desire. I think all human beings have a desire to know and a desire to be known. And I think it kind of encompasses all those things we just talked about. You know, we want to know truth. We want to know beauty. We want to know we're safe. We want to know we belong. And we want to be known. We want people to know us. Really know us. There are some people we don't want us to know. I know, I know. There are some people, but for the most part, we want to be known by people, especially those who love us and those who we're committed to in a a covenant relationship, you know, in marriage and family and community and church and all those things. We want people to know us, to know how we think and move and act. It's important to our human being to, to have these things. It is impossible without a deep relationship with a triune God for any of this to happen. We need to know God the Father. 
We need to know God the Son. We need to know God the Holy Spirit for these aches to be truly satisfied and, and so that we can, they can be met in our human experience. If we do not have a deep and abiding relationship with a triune God, none of those things are ever answered for us. All you have to do is look at the world outside. The world is aching to know a triune God. And their lives reflect that ache that's being unanswered. We know from our own experience, from where we've come from, that that ache was there. And until we got into a relationship with God, that ache didn't go away. Or was it? And I realize we're still in process. God is still answering that ache. Because we're human beings and we leak. We drift. We get distant. And that's why we decided when we were going to talk about the Holy Spirit during this series, and believe it or not, this is the fifth one, that we were going to concentrate first on knowing the Holy Spirit. We're not going to talk about the gifts yet. We're going to get to those. We're not, but we're going to talk about knowing Him, really, really knowing Him. Never, the, the, sometimes in churches, He is the forgotten God, the Holy Spirit, for many reasons. And so we were going to concentrate on knowing Him, knowing His personality, knowing His desires, knowing the Holy Spirit's cravings, what His intent is, what His motivation is. Because in discovering those things, this is how we discover who we are in Him. And so that's why we wanted to go and have this approach that we just concentrate on knowing Him. So I had these questions begin to challenge me this week. You know, questions like, why do I want a deeper relationship with the Holy Spirit? Why? Why do I want this? What is my motivation for this? And what drives those motivations? See, if we approach the Holy Spirit as just, I just want the power of those gifts. I just want gifts. I just want the power. See, we're going to miss something, or rather we're going to miss someone. We're going to miss someone very badly. We're going to miss the entire purpose. Because when we make it just about the power, life becomes about rules, regulations, laws, and how to hold on to that power. When we make it about relationship, then power is released through us, and we don't hold on to it. And that's how life really works. The other way... Power, we know this old saying, you know, power corrupts and absolute power corrupts absolutely. And that is even true in the church. Too often that's true in the church. So we can't make it about the gifts because, look, the gifts are powerful. And we are meant to be powerful creations, sons and daughters. We are supposed to walk in resurrection power. But it's because we're in a deep and abiding relationship with God. With God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit. Remember the Holy Spirit's real name is what? God. Okay, that's His real name. So we're, we're going to get to the gifts. We are. We, the gifts are exciting and they're powerful. And man, I tell you what, they're, 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 they're fantastic. And, and you are walking in some of them, believe it or not. But we need to understand the gifts because we know him first. If you wouldn't mind, go to 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Because this is where we're going to spend a couple weeks in. 1 Corinthians chapter 12. Paul 
had his hands full with the Corinthian church. <laughs> he seems like he's always talking to them about being self-seeking, self-centered, just basically selfish. The whole book of Corinthians is basically one long exhortation to stop being selfish and start loving each other. That is the, that is the base thing of, of, first Corinthians, of all Corinthians. But I love this chapter because he starts to talk about the meaning and the purpose of these gifts. See, the, the Corinthian church was in love with the gifts. They wanted to see manifestation after manifestation. But in the process of seeking the power, they forgot all about the giver of the gifts. And it caused many other problems throughout the church. So just read Corinthians, and you see the issue after issue that Paul is addressing. And he says, you know, he tells them that, you know, these gifts are great, but man, you're, you're missing it. You're missing someone. And he's trying to realign their hearts now in chapter 12, okay? So verse 1. Now, concerning spiritual gifts, brothers, I do not want you to be uninformed. I love just that start. I don't want you to be uninformed. Remember, the Holy Spirit will lead us to what? All truth. And Paul is saying, you know, the Holy Spirit does not want you to be left in the dark here. He wants you to understand why the gifts are so important, but he wants you to understand in the context of relationships. So I don't want you to be uninformed. You know that when you were pagans, you were led astray to mute idols. However, you were led. So, therefore, I want you to understand that no one is speaking in the Spirit of God ever says, Jesus is a curse. And no one can say that Jesus is Lord except in the Holy Spirit. This beginning, this beginning Paul is saying, he says, because you are filled with the Holy Spirit, because you have the Holy Spirit living inside you, your life should be in contrast to the way it was. And that things that come out of your mouth, if they're proclaiming Jesus Christ, it proves that you have the Holy Spirit in you. If your mouth is proclaiming other things, then the opposite is also true. He's saying, you know what? You know, If you have the Holy Spirit in you, you're going to say, Jesus is Lord. Your life is going to show that Jesus is Lord. So he doesn't want you to be confused about this. He doesn't want you to be led astray again. He wants you to realize that because of the Holy Spirit, your life should be marked different than the way it used to be when you were a pagan, as his words. Very important for him to, to establish this kind of foundational things. Verse 4 says, Now there are varieties of gifts but the same Spirit. There are varieties of service, but the same Lord. And there are varieties of activities, but it is the same God who empowers them all in every one. But let's talk about the diversity of gifts. The word Greek word gifts means unmerited favor. It means divine grace. It means deliverance. These are gifts that are meant to free us. These are gifts that are meant to bring us freedom. And, he said, and he's saying there's, there's, a, there's a diversity of these gifts. They're all unmerited. You can't earn them. You don't possess them unless you've been giving them. And by the way, they help deliver you. They make, they make you free. Now, the diversity of services, that word, Greek word means ministering, aiding, 
and serving. These are ways, these are gifts that help us give back. These are things that help us give back. So there's a, there's a whole bunch of them out there that Paul is saying. Now, diversity of activities is a very interesting one. It means to put into work an operation or a program or basically a work that continues, that's always going on. It's, 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 it, this whole, these three things are a picture of, the, of, the, of God working in us and through us. He says the same what? Same spirit, the same Lord, and the same God. This is the Trinity, the triune God working in us and through us. Again, just affirming that there is a Trinity involved in this and that all three are God and all one. It's amazing stuff. It's just amazing stuff. It is the same God who empowers. The Greek for empowers means active, efficient, and mighty. And he says, they're mighty in them all, the gifts, the services, and the activities, and they're mighty in everyone. No one is to be left out. Everyone's included in this. No one is exempt from it. It's the same God, the same Lord, the, the same Spirit at work in a mighty way in everyone. Verse 7, to each, the word basically means in the Greek, everyone. And it's talking about everyone who is a follower of Jesus Christ at this point. It is meant in the context of the body of Christ. To each, to everyone. No one, again, is, is supposed to be left out. Is giving the manifestation. The word manifestation in the Greek means to be clearly displayed. To be clearly displayed. Again, God is not trying to keep any secrets from us about who he is. He wants to clearly display who he is so that we understand and that we know him. Again, this is just beautiful. God is always about relationship. He's always about showing who he is to us and all this complexity. To each is given the manifestation of the Spirit. And here's the reason why we've been given spiritual gifts. It's plain, it's simple, but it's powerful. It's for the common good. The common good. The common good. It is a Greek phrase that means this. To bear together. To collect or contribute in order to help. To carry with others together. This is an all-together mentality. It has a singular purpose, and the purpose is for the common good. This phrase, the common good, in the monitor's days, has meant or has become talking about social action. And I want to suggest to you that this is, is much more powerful than that and much more Christ-like than just social action. We'll, we'll get into that. But it is for the common good. It is, for, it is about body ministry. It's about working together as a body, ministering to each other for the common good. It's talking about the church. But it's a prepping of the church to get everybody ready to go and do the Great Commission to go out into the world and spread the gospel. So this work is body ministry for each other, but it's not meant just to be stay within the body, as we see through the, uh, the chapters that come. It's about leaving the body and going and doing what the Holy Spirit is directing us to do. A powerful expression of what God's heart is. All right, so the common good. I think the gospel is the greatest form of the, of the common good. God has uh, expressed 
and given us salvation. And because of salvation, we are able to go out into the world and spread the same news, the good news of forgiveness. It is salvation that, and, and, and the gift that that was for us that enables us to do that, to be changed and to be able to be used by the Holy Spirit. So I do think the common good, the gospel is, is the greatest common good. And what I think Paul is saying right here is, is a great invitation. It's a great invitation. But the, this invitation is so against the world's mentality of what's in it for me? What do I get from this? What about me? And see, that's what he was challenging in the Corinthian church as well, you know, because they were all about the gifts and trying to one-up each other with the gifts and trying to serve themselves instead of serving the body. And that is really the world's mentality. Probably, you know, I certainly walked in that mentality before I came to Jesus. And Paul is challenging this, saying that the Holy Spirit says, the common good erases all that kind of thinking. It's, It's not about you anymore. It's about us now. And about us. And then about how we can take us and minister to them. This is what the common good was for. Paul put it this way in Philippians 1.21. He says, for me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. Paul's saying, either way, I'm with Jesus. But to be fully alive right now is to actually just live for him. Not live for myself. Live for him by serving him and then by serving others. And wherever he sends me, basically, is what he's saying. Jesus went around doing good, it says in Acts 10.38. But he didn't go around doing good to pad his volunteer resume. The gospel was his life. Fulfilling his father's mission was his life. It says, my food is to do the will of the one who sent me. The thing that fed Jesus, the thing that he desired was to do the father's will above all else. And that was the gospel. Let's read Acts 10.38 and say, and you know that God anointed Jesus of Nazareth for the, with the Holy Spirit and with power. Then Jesus went around doing good and healing all who were oppressed by the devil, for God was with him. And you know that God anointed. That word means set apart, but it also means to be smeared with oil. How, you, how do you smear somebody with something? If I'm going to smear Roger with something, I'm going to come up to him and I'm going to start rubbing my hands all over him with whatever I want to smear him with. God is connectedly, purposely hands-on. His anointing is hands-on. It's not from a distance. Think about a holy God who is in so much in love with you that he is willing to come up close and smear you with something. But what he's smearing you with is the Holy Spirit, the anointing of the Holy Spirit. But God wants it to be hands-on. God wants it to be up close and personal. He is not distant from us. does not want to be distant from us. He wants to be close to us. It is how he sets us apart. Because he's coming alongside us saying, see this one I just smeared? This one belongs to me. He is mine. See, that's the beauty of this. To know this God. It is incredible that God would want to be that personal with us. 
to actually touch us with everything that he is. Beautiful. That he smeared with oil, that he set apart for service. Jesus of Nazareth with the Holy Spirit, with power, miracle power, mighty ability. Then Jesus went around doing good. And this word means exercising benefits and rendering exceptional service. And healing, curing, all who were oppressed. And that word means dominated by the devil. For God was with him. Who lives inside of us? So is God with us? If God is with us and we've been smeared with the oil and set apart for service, do we get to go around walking in power? Really? Again, it is not about the power. It is about that God is hands-on with us to release power through us so that we could do good works. Yes, the common good is about good works. But it's more than that. We do good works because we've been set apart. We've been set apart because we've been smeared with something, with the essence of God himself. And therefore, we are connected to him in such a way that all we want to do is what he wants us to do. See, it's personal. I'm not doing volunteer work. I refuse to do volunteer work. But I will do whatever God asks me to do. It may look like volunteer work, but I'm not volunteering anything. I am giving myself as a living sacrifice because that's what I'm, my required, my acceptable worship, it says in Hebrews. Say, it's personal. I'm giving myself to a God who has already given himself to me. That's why I serve him. That's why I go and do the things that he asked me to do. It looks like volunteer work, but it's so not. It might look like social action, but it's so not. It's the gospel. And the gospel changes life. Social action will change some circumstances, but it won't change people. The gospel changes people. Good deeds will help people, but it's more than good deeds. When Jesus healed the paralyzed man by the pool... He followed it up with a teaching about the kingdom. When he healed the blind man, he turned it into a teaching about healing the, the spiritually blind. Everything that Jesus did, everything that Jesus said, he connected to the gospel. Because that's the most common good that you can get. And I believe... Paul is trying to get the Corinthian church and us throughout the centuries to see this. Yeah, these gifts. Oh, my goodness. You know, in this, in this he, he wants us to see the desire of the Holy Spirit. In chapter 12, he wants us to see the, that we need to desire the common good. We need to desire unity. Jesus prayed for this in, in, in John, in the book of John. We need to desire the gifts, and then we're going to need to desire a better way, Paul says at the end of this chapter. I'm going to show you a better way. And that's another sermon but these are what the gifts are for knowing the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in us the fruit of the common good good works are always part of the gospel and they are a result of walking in the spirit and philippians 2:13 puts it this way for god is working in you giving you the desire and the power to do what pleases him and it goes all the way back to the beginning God gives us the desires of our hearts.
God gives us those desires. When the psalmist was you know, proclaiming this and praying this and wondering this, and, and Philippians answers the question. He says, you know what? It is God that gives you the desires of your heart. When we're walking in Him, when we're walking in the Spirit, when, we're, we're, when the common good, the gospel, is, is in the forefront of our brain, we do what pleases God by His power and what He has already placed in our heart. God is up close and personal. He's smearing us with the anointing. He lives inside of us. A holy God, a righteous God, a God that cannot be contained in the universe, wants to live in this small little vessel called my heart and express himself with power, with might, with miracles through that same heart to be a conduit is overwhelming to me that he wants to do this for us. That's just amazing to me. God gives us the desires of our heart. His desires become ours, fueling our desire with power to do His will. The common good is really just mirroring His heart. It's just like acting like Jesus. It's following the Father's example and obeying the Spirit's lead. That's really what it is. The Spirit motivates he drives and he increases our craving to follow his lead. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25 says this. And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together as the habit of some, some but encouraging one another all the more as you see the day drawing near. And let us consider that word... Consider means to understand, to observe fully. Again, the Holy Spirit wants to lead us into all truth. And that is even understanding each other. I need the Holy Spirit to help you understand me all the time. That's just the way it is. But I love this part of stirring each other up. The Greek word is beautiful for this. But it might be a little shocking to you. It means to incite it means to stimulate, but it also means to irritate. How many of you have ever irritated someone in your life? Can you imagine that? The Holy Spirit is supposed to irritate us. It's supposed to irritate us. I can come over here and bother Brandon all I want. I could irritate him all service long. But that's not the kind of irritation that we're talking about. We're talking about the irritation that gets underneath your skin so that you have to do something about it. That's the Greek picture here, that something is, is rubbing you, not necessarily the wrong way, but it, it's just it's the kind of irritation that makes us do something. Not to sit and wait any longer. We're going to incite each other. We're going to stimulate each other. We're going to even irritate each other to love. We're going to do this so we love each other more. That's the purpose of this. And for good. This Greek word means beautiful, valuable, and worthy. Who wouldn't want to go out and do good, beautiful, valuable, worthy works? See, one of the desires of the human heart, of the human nature, is for good. For goodness to happen. God's placed it inside of us. Now he wants to stir it up. Now he wants to even irritate us a little bit so that we get moving. 
Not neglecting, the word means to leave behind, to meet together, as, as is the habit of some. But encouraging, that word means to call near, to invite, to comfort, and to desire. A desire to be with each other. One another as all the more as you see the day drawing near. The common good is good. <laughs> and it's really not so common. It, the, the, word, the whole word common basically means a community of people together. It is the not so common goodness of God to do this for us. To want us to be together. To want us to join together as a community of, I believe, a body. And he goes on to talk, and later on we'll talk more about unity next week. And talk about the oneness of the body and what, what the Holy Spirit wants to do through that. But we are one body here. We are one body with all the churches of High Park. We are one body with the Methodist Church, with the Baptist Church, with the AME Zion Church in Poughkeepsie, with all these, all these personal connections that we have made and joined partnerships with and all those kind of things. But we are one with the Church of Christ. We are one. We are part of that. And we're part of each other. And what the Holy Spirit is saying, you know what? The gifts are meant to serve the common good. And in order for you to understand the gifts, you need to really know me more. So I go back to the question, I, back to the question of desire and why do I want more of the Spirit? And I was praying last night and I said, okay, I might need to have an answer for you. This is what I wrote. This is my prayer. I'm not saying that you prayed this exact thing, but I would ask of you as your homework this week, that you would ask that question to yourself. Why do I want more of the Spirit? Why do I want more of the Spirit? I did that and, and then I wrote this prayer for me. And a kind of a proclamation. You know how I like proclamations. But this is, this is what I'm going to go over. I want to live a life radically different to the one I live today. If I stop there, that would be a good prayer. Every day I want to pray, I want my life to be radically different than, than yesterday. Just totally different. I want the Holy Spirit, I want His gifts, I want His power to flow through me because I'm so close to Him that He smears me with anointing. I want to drip Jesus wherever I go because of that intimacy. See, the word intimacy only means into me see. Into me see. That's what I'm asking the Holy Spirit to. Into me see. Check out my heart. Check out my motivations, my desires. I want to be so connected that I feel his breath move me. When, when he talks about breath, uh, the spirit in those scriptures, is talking about the, the puma of God, the very breath of God. That's what's been deposited in us. Can you, can you take that in for a moment? That you have the breath of God in you. That's pretty amazing. And pretty kind of God to do so. But think about it. We are given a breath of God. What? So we can hold our breath? So that we exhale Jesus. I want to be so connected that I feel his breath move through me. Working on me physically, mentally, and spiritually. I desire for his presence in my life to elevate my decisions, my attitudes, and my behavior to a missional focus. And off of me focus. I hunger for my life to display the common good 
and to allow the Holy Spirit to define what that looks like. See, I don't want what I think the common good is. I want the Holy Spirit to define it for me. And then I want Him to express His life through me so I actually live for the common good. That my life is about Him and about Him only. I want the full manifestations of the gifts in my life. I want those. Paul says to desire those, but not above knowing Him. And if we have Him, then we will walk in power. We will walk in the things that He wants us to walk in. We will be an expression of the Holy Spirit. His breath will come through us and empower us with all that we need. But if we cry out just for the gifts, if we seek just the gifts only, we are missing someone. And I don't think the Holy Spirit wants us to miss out on this.